Dalimore wrote a very definitive biography on the early days of our country and some of the key figures there. And uh, he writes in a very definitive biography, for the past 30 years, numerous evangelical people have been saying there can never be another revival. The times are too evil. Sin is now too rampant. We are in the midst of the apostasy, and the days of revival are gone forever. That is unfortunately said by some. But he says uh, the great 18th century revival called the Great Awakening certainly contradicted that perspective. Uh, the beginning of the 1700s was a, an extremely wicked time. The life of England, of course, was influencing the colonies, and it was foul with moral corruption and crippled by spiritual decay. Very few people actually went to church in those days. Wickedness was rampant, drinking immorality, gambling abuse. Deism had become uh, the excuse for not fearing God. And because of the Puritans' desire to enforce biblical rules and did not have the power of God upon them, uh, believers were oftentimes reacting to the rules of God's holiness. Now, it sort of sounds familiar today, doesn't it? And uh, it was a very bad day. And then God. Then the love of God flowed. God poured out his spirit. He did it again at the beginning of the 1800s. Our nation is marked by the mighty work of God. But we do need to understand that the world does get uglier and uglier as, as culture gets farther away from the times in which uh, God's people are really living for God. Uh, it was actually 40 years ago that John J. Harrington, national president of the Fraternal Order of Police and a 27-year veteran at that time of the Philadelphia Police Force, says there is hatred today in this country that's growing and growing. <laughs> 40 years ago he said that. And then he gave awful accounts of what was going on. Now, as we look at our culture, we need to understand that this is the wonderful opportunity for us as believers to be clearly not part of that cultural decline. That we have a relationship with God that should make all the difference. 1 John is the book that deals with abiding in Christ, fellowship with God, a relationship to the Lord. And starting on Tuesday, we're going to look at the theme of our conference in 1 John chapter 4. But I'd like you to turn with me to the preceding chapter in the way of just some preliminary uh, truths here that I trust can be a help to us, 1 John chapter 3. And we find here in the latter part, or really the middle part of chapter 3, the warning that we as believers need to realize that this fellowship with God that is so glorious, this wonderful privilege of experiencing the love of God and the great hope that we have in Christ, uh, that this should cause us then in that relationship to be extremely different than the world uh, decadent culture. The two don't go together. 
And, uh, and so what we're going to see here is the mark of the world versus the mark of a Christian. And really it is the mark sometimes of a uh, fleshly Christian versus a, an abiding Christian that truly has the love of God. You see, folks, it is by receiving, and we're going to spend much time talking about this, it's by really acknowledging the love of God and coming into that relationship with Him that God transforms us and enables us to live out His righteousness. The love of God does not uh, cancel out the fact that we need to be righteous. It is the very means for us to be righteous and to be freed from all of the awful prison house of self that we live in all the time. So I want to look here at uh, two just major points, and I want us to be honest with ourselves today. How much do we look like the children of God? I'm talking about in our attitudes. How much are we living like the children of God, or how much are we living like Satan's world? and confusing the whole message of the transforming grace of God. We'll look at just several verses here. Uh, after teaching on the, the uh, need for the righteousness of God in our life, in fact, strong verses like verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil, and so forth, we come to verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil... Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. And then marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. And so we find here the, the very clear indication of the reality of salvation and the reality of Satan's hold on those that are unregenerate. But the point is, and I want you to see this all the way through, the point is that God's people should not think and act like Satan's uh, hold on the unregenerate world. And that is what has so hurt the United States of America, is that Bible Christianity talks about the love of Christ, but the love of Christ should, as we'll see in these next verses uh, over these next uh, few days, the love of God should transform us and we should be living a, a life of great victory because we're in full relationship and, and, and understanding the unconditional love of God. So let's look, first of all, at the works of the devil here. Uh, in verse 10, in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Now that's rather direct, isn't it? Uh, the idea of manifest just means uh, the idea of uh, visible, plainly to be seen, uh, revealing uh, what's in our heart. Now the devil, as one... Uh, Writer said, made no man, begat no man, created no man, but whoso imitates the devil, that person, as if begotten of him, becomes a child of the devil by imitating him, not literally by being begotten of him. And then the word devil means slanderer, 
one who knowingly and deliberately advances false charges against God and his people. Now think about it. Right from the beginning, Satan showed his character and his opposition to God by lying to Eve. And he did it very subtly. He said, hath God said, is that really going to happen, dying thou shalt die? And he says, no, the reason God has forbidden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat of that, you will be like God, and God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding back that which is good for you. What a lie. Questioning the character and love of God. And folks, that is why we must understand who our God is. We often don't believe it. We, we actually think of him from a human standpoint rather than from the biblically declared standpoint that God is love, merciful, long-suffering. He is holy. He is just. And we can count on those attributes to be true. And so uh, Satan uh, has brought down the human race and has caused there to be opposition to God and a questioning of his character, a questioning of his word, a questioning of his motives for us. And people throughout the ages have thought, if I yield to God, my life won't be, won't be meaningful. Well, the opposite is true. If I trust the Lord and if I walk as a believer with him, my life will be alive. <laughs> I will have eternal life. I will be able to live the abundant life. I will understand why I'm created. And I will have fellowship with the creator. And so Satan just cuts right to the core of what is key for us about life and, and is, has, listen, everybody in this room has bought that lie at one point or the other. Before you were saved, you bought it. Aren't you glad God delivered you? But how many times Christians have bought it? Oh, man. All right. I guess I'll surrender to God. It's going to be awful, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> that's, that, that's a tragic way to look at it. Man, it's a joy to surrender to God. It doesn't get better. But what a lie Satan gives to us. And so we need to realize that the world is dominated by the God of this world, Satan, and it is completely deceived and blinded, as 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. And so we as believers, as James chapter 4 says, if we're a friend of God, we, I mean, a friend of the world, we are what? An enemy of God. And so we need to understand that this that clearly manifests saved people versus unsaved people should shock us as believers and help us understand that if we're looking like the unsaved crowd, we're not abiding in Christ. We're not fellowshipping with him. We don't know about the love of God. It's not being shed abroad in our hearts. And it should really bother us. Because we've been delivered. We are saved. We are God's people. We are his uh, possession. He has purchased us and he loves us. First thing it says here in verse 10 that the children of God and the children uh, versus the children of the devil, it's about the righteousness of God, righteous or unrighteous living. And so the, the children of the devil have an unrighteous lifestyle. 
Without the grace of God, you cannot please God. Even our righteousnesses are filthy rags, as Jeremiah says. It is impossible to please God in the flesh. And so unrighteousness is the characteristic of the unsaved world. Now, there are some nicer people that are lost. There are not-so-nice people from just the normal moral um, societal standard. But the fact is, when you get down into the heart, uh, every motive, everything about our lives, without God's uh, working in our hearts, it's all about ourself, and it really is ugly. And uh, that's, uh, that's unrighteousness. And so an unsaved person can do good, righteous, standard things, but they cannot live out righteousness. They can't do it because it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that comes when we trust him as Savior. And so we've got to understand there are only two classes of people, those who are saved and able to live the righteousness of of Christ and those who are lost who cannot. They cannot please God. And so we need to understand that. And so uh, the world uh, is, is in that, that awful strait. And so the absence of any righteous conduct uh, in a person's life certainly is concerning. If there's no heart to do right, there's no, never been a desire to do right, well, then, of course, we don't know for sure whether a person's saved or not, but it is characteristic of what? A child of the devil, someone who ha- is under the control of the devil. And let me say, my friend, don't look at your works as far as assurance of salvation. You look to Jesus for salvation. You trust in him. But it is concerning when we don't have a heart to do right. And... Uh, and so the spirituality is not there, and they are under the domination of Satan. In Acts 13, 10, uh, dealing with the sorcerer there that was trying to keep back uh, the uh, deputy there that, he, that Paul was dealing with, and says, O full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of God? And so, if we are abiding in Christ, there will be change. Now, Christians can just live in the flesh, depend upon themselves, try to just do it themselves, hold on to things, not be right with God, and there are going to be all kinds of sins and problems of the flesh that are there. It doesn't mean they're lost, but they're living like they're lost. And friends, do you realize this world needs Christians that, that live the reality of what they really are? When you were saved, you were created in righteousness and true holiness in your spirit. You were born again, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit indwelt you and, and indwells you all the way uh, through your life. He is the uh, great earnest of your inheritance and so our great privilege is to live righteously, to, to live in the liberty from sin and to live in the power of the grace of God. What a privilege that is. And so it ought to grieve our hearts when we're defeated, discouraged, not living for God, having things in our life that are not right because there's no evidence then to the world 
that there's a miracle working God who died on the cross for them to have salvation. It ought to grieve us. Those little issues of our life that we haven't settled, those little addictions or big addictions, uh, those attitudes, those uh, sinful habits that are there, they are a big deal because they're keeping you from showing forth the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus. We look like the children of the devil. And then the second part here in this matter of being a child of the devil is uh, the last part of verse 10, neither he that loveth not his brother. You see, freedom from self allows you to do what? Understand the love of God and live the love of God. Listen, the greatest joy in the world is to be free of self and to live for others. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. That is the sum total of all the commandments. And that the coming out of a heart that's living according to God's will will flow the love of God. And so the lack of love for the brethren is a good sign that, oops, we're in trouble on this matter of abiding in Christ. Again, the whole theme here of 1 John, that fellowship with Jesus, to know him and walk with him. We, you, you can't have that intimate fellowship if um, we uh, nurture wrong attitudes in our heart. And so... Uh, this joins together the idea of righteousness with love. And this is now a bridge into the full and complete discussion of love that's both in the latter part of chapter 3 and in chapter 4. And so love, I want you to get this, is righteousness in action. Love is righteousness in action. Galatians 5.14. By the way, Galatians deals with Christians living according to works trying to prove themselves. But then it talks about the matter of our need to love one another and to walk in the Spirit. And Galatians 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now we're not talking here about a warm, fuzzy feeling. We are talking about the exercising of our will to truly put someone else first and to allow God use us, to use us, no matter how sacrificial it may be, to meet that need according to his word and according to his will. And failure to love another believer is a tragic identification with the world instead of God. You know, you talk about worldliness, you think of bad habits. You know, one of the biggest aspects of worldliness is carnality and problems with the lack of love between believers. You know, one of the most devastating things in a community is when a church has a church split. Well, that doesn't register, does it? That's not what uh, the unity of Jesus is all about. Now, we're human, and there's all those kind of issues, but I'm telling you, folks, the love of the brethren, along with living a righteous life, shows that we're children of God. We're not children of the devil. And uh, so uh, we need to, to love one another. In fact, the brethren especially because we are part of the family. It is a kindred spirit. I right now, as I think about the Ukraine, I can sometimes I can hardly think about it. It gets to me because I've been with those dear brothers and sisters. I've spent hours with them. 
And I've had just as kindred a spirit there as I have here in the United States. And many of them I couldn't speak Ukraine or mainly Russian uh, in the areas that I was in. But yet, I'm telling you, we enjoy great fellowship. Uh, It's hard to to even uh, describe. It's glorious. And uh, families, you know, have an unusual bond. Uh, And if a family is functioning at all, uh, it's just there is something about that family unity. When my mom went home to be with the Lord, just like many of you have experienced, where our family just, boom, came together. And uh, just that, that heart unity was there because we were family. We were suffering exactly the same way and very burdened about the suffering of my father. Well, that's the way it should be if we are demonstrating the reality of our being a child of God and the Spirit of God working and the love of God is in our hearts. And so it ought to be just a, it just ought to be a very basic thing for us. And by the way, the Lord Jesus taught this. The the disciples were taught this right from the very beginning that one of the key signs, they'll, they'll know that you're my disciple if ye have love one for another. And so when believers will nurture wrong attitudes toward another Christian, they have just lost the testimony that they're a child of God. Unrighteous living, unloving attitudes, the testimony is shut down. The light of God's glory is not seen. And when God revives, that's what God does. He gets people back into reveling in the love of God and loving God in his holiness and loving one another and that just God uh, is able to deal with us. So we see the characteristics there. Now I want to look at the illustration that is given of the devil's work. Verse 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one uh, love uh, one another. From the beginning of Christ's teaching, he's saying there, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, speaking of Satan, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. <laughs> well, that gets right down to the quick, doesn't it? Um, Satan didn't, Adam and Eve, I believe, were rescued right away by the grace of God and came into a full faith relationship based on the sacrifice there at the entrance to Eden. That's personally believe, right, that at that point, Adam and Eve trusted Christ. So what did he do? He went to the very next one, the firstborn, the first person ever born on planet earth was Cain. And, this, and, and the word here says he was of that wicked one. Satan got a hold of him. Folks, never diminish the power of Satan, yet do not fear that. Fear God. Because God has won the victory. His head has been crushed. In Christ we can have victory, but we need to respect the power that he has. And that's why, by the way, on the whole international scene, you'll never be able to figure it out. Because there's a battle that you can't see that's going on. That's very powerful and it's very real. But John cites this story as an evidence that the absence of brother love is a mark of the child of the devil. And uh, that's pretty amazing. I'm gonna, let me just read Genesis 4 verse 5, just the account of it for us here. 
But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. This is the only reference in any of the Johannine writings to the Old Testament. It's very, uh, the epistles, not, not the Gospel of John, but the epistles. And so this was obviously very important to John as the Holy Spirit inspired him to get this truth across. Um, and so he's trying to say that the lack of love for our brother comes from what source? It's a satanic source. And this is written to believers. He murdered his literal brother. He wanted to have life his own way. He bought again into Satan's perspective. The focus was on self, and this awful situation occurred. In fact, the word slew here occurs only here and in Revelation in the New Testament, and it implies a violent death. It was a merciless, cold-blooded action of Cain. But the thing that's interesting here, and the reason this is given as an illustration, is that what provoked Cain's anger toward Abel? How nasty Abel was? I know, it was their sibling rivalry. You know, first evidence of uh, the sinful nature. That's got to have been it. Well, there probably was a little sibling rivalry. Uh, that's always there. I know that none of you families have ever had that problem, but anyway, I have seen that. And, uh, but... Uh, the issue was not that. The issue was Abel's righteousness and God's acceptance of him and Cain's desire to go his own way and that God would not accept his, uh, he did not do it God's way and he didn't have the heart that his brother had. It was very clear to him that God favored Abel simply because Abel had a relationship with him. And so righteousness of Abel provoked this strong uh, reaction. And it says that very clearly, last uh, part of verse 12, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. That's why you had the murder. So there was jealousy. There is an intensified feeling of condemnation on his part that he didn't lie, like. It fed a vicious hatred. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. He's letting people know that no matter what your actions are, your attitude is what will be condemned. And so for us as believers, what he's trying to say here is that when we don't love our brother, oftentimes it's Satan gets a hold of us because it's a feeling of jealousy or reaction to our brother's life as they're trying to do what's right. That's what it's saying here. And, uh, and Satan can cause jealousy to bring hatred and then murder and of course today it's just 
hurting somebody by saying the things that we ought not say. So a couple of final thoughts here. Love for the brethren is from God. Uh, in other words here, uh, you love one another. This is by, through having real fellowship. Listen, you cannot naturally keep warm and fuzzy feelings. The evidence that you're really walking in the love of God is, an, is a glorious divine desire to, uh, to bless others. And with some, when someone is doing well, you rejoice. When someone uh, has something that you don't have, you're thankful for them. You're not allowing envy or jealousy to come in your heart. You truly want the best for them. In fact, you're willing to give what you have to them to meet their need, whatever it is that God tells you to do. Uh, this is, as Jesus said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And oh, I'm telling you, that special fellowship I mentioned about uh, being in Ukraine. I've been in some very different cultures. Can't speak the language, but get into church and hear the singing, and I see the glow on the faces, and we're brothers, even though I can't communicate. It's because of Christ. And that should be constantly what we have. But hatred is a product of the devil. How can Christians not have an affinity one toward another? Well, it's because, uh, like uh, the Lord said, when you have the wrong attitude, you're of your father the devil there in John 8, 44. And so we don't want to have the kind of attitude that the world naturally has. But Christians can run into the exact same problem that uh, Cain had with Abel. Now let me mention here, you notice in verse 13, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Why does the world hate us? Because Christians condemn their conscience. The righteousness of Christians expose their sin and they don't want it and they don't like it and the only way to get out from it is to get rid of you. That's extreme persecution. Believe me, it goes on all the time. It's going on in many countries around the world. So, I mean, it's not that Christians are living bad lives. It's that Christians that are on fire for God are showing forth the reality of the Lord, and that just brings great frustration to those that are opposed to the Lord. But the point here is, abiding in Christ, Christians have no, there's no place for reacting to people. Frustration. As Francis Havergale said, quick angry emotions of the heart will sometimes force themselves into expression by the hand through the tongue, though the tongue may be restrained. The very way in which we close a door or lay down a book may be a victory or a defeat. Uh, now, we can get frustrated with people because of what they do that's frustrating and negative. But the greatest danger, folks, is to get frustrated with someone whose life puts a little light on your life. And helps you realize, I'm, I'm not living like that. Wives, don't get frustrated with husbands that get on fire for God. Husbands, you need to nurture when a wife is going strong for the Lord. And not react to that and feel, and feel intimidated. Parents, if your children get on fire for God, God help you if you try to squash that fire. Don't feel intimidated. If your child wants to go soul winning, you will go with them. Don't, don't let yourself 
try to put that down so you're not convicted. This is what this is talking about. An abiding parent, abiding spouse won't do that. You won't allow yourself to get uh, irritated. And I'm telling you, there can be hatred between believers. Gossip. You need to so live that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the, ferret, the family parrot to your town gossip, <laughs> said in one book I saw. What goes on at home? But jealousy. Jealousy. That's the big problem. That was the problem here. And friends, as we're going to be looking at the love of God, our desire is that everybody else has the same wonderful experience of knowing him. And this precedes the passages that we're going to look at. It's a little startling, isn't it? It's a little unnerving. But the Lord just said, this is where we need to go today. Those little inner attitudes. Well, that, that person can't be doing that well. Or don't be intimidated by someone because they're just growing in grace like you are. But folks, do we really have a spirit-empowered attitude? F.B. Meyer, the great preacher and commentator, told the following experience to some personal friends. He said, it was easy to pray for the success of G. Campbell Morgan when he was in America. But when he came back to England and took a church near, near to mine, it was something different. The old Adam in me was inclined to, to jealousy, but I got my heel upon his head, and whether I felt right toward my friend, I determined to act right. My church gave a reception for him, and I acknowledged that if it was nece not necessary for me to preach on a Sunday evening, I would go and hear him myself, and I was going to make sure that I felt right toward him. <laughs> but that's the right decision-making. In other words, jealousy is a terrible thing. Listen, we ought to be thrilled when other People see the power of God. When you hear somebody lead somebody to Christ, it ought to just stir your heart. When another church gets on fire for God, it ought to thrill us and be an example to us. That's what it's all about. We can't have that wrong kind of attitude. Well, I've gone past here. But folks, abiding in Christ does manifest itself in these subtle ways. How do we live and what's our attitude toward others? You know, the great joy of the body of Christ is an agreement about living right and a love for one another. Left Hand, a war chief of the Southern Arapaho, was converted late in his life. At a, a convention in Oklahoma City, he gave a touching testimony. As he sat down, a gray-headed minister stood and said, Years ago, I lived in Denver. I enlisted in the Army to fight the Indians, then on the war path. At the Battle of Big Sandy, Left Hand led the Arapahoes. I sought his blood that day, but today I am his brother in Christ our Lord. The convention was profoundly moved. The presiding officer asked that the two come to the platform and the former enemies joyously embraced each other. That's the work of Christ. Sitting in the Roman churches were slaves and masters, Greeks and barbarians and Jews, all in a oneness of spirit. That's the miracle of Christ. And folks, the answer to the world is Christ. But that answer needs to be seen in our families and in our local churches. Let's bow for prayer.